Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Uh, before we get into 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, I just want to give you a heads up. You'll see this in the bulletin and in the, the, the quarterly report. report I'll talk about inviting people to a, a the blessing of a home. So there's a there's a right. Um, I've got it in my pastor's companion. Uh, well, I, I, what I'm going to do is I'll read through some of the the instructions that are in the book on this and that kind of explains what it is uh, it is appropriate that the homes of christians be blessed by the word of god in prayer it comes uh, from he said first timothy where he says everything that we receive all creation is good that we receive it with the word of all everything is sanctified by the word of god in prayer and that would include our homes this right may be used when a new home is occupied when a family moves to another home or at other appropriate times so if something bad happens in the home sometimes you know, you have this fear that there's something not quite right in the home, but we want the Word of God to, um, but it's not uh, like a superstitious thing or some kind of magical thing as if now, um, I don't know, like, but simply that we want the Word of God to bless the home and what happens in it. Um, uh, but homes may also be blessed annually. Usually this is done during the season of Epiphany due to the connection with the visitation of the Magi to the home of the infant Christ. And so there's this connection, um, a, a custom uh, of using the season of Epiphany for this, this kind of thing. Uh, those present at a blessing of a home may include all family members as well as friends and relatives, like people may invite others to, to come. It can be kind of a, as well as the, the blessing, the word of God and prayer, uh, kind of a fellowship event for the for the family uh, as desired one or more individual rooms so the the right takes uh, includes different prayers and a, a Bible verse and a prayer basically for different rooms as it says as desired you know whatever someone wishes to do so like the idea would be you start in the living room and you kind of go from room to room as as you wish and there's a prayer for the kitchen and for the living room for a bedroom for uh, the entry um, with, with, with the word of God in prayer. Uh, the head of the household should be encouraged to encouraged to pray regularly with the family, read the scriptures, sing hymns throughout the year, especially in times of distress. That's just sort of a general, like this would encourage us to have the word of God in our homes. And that here, in this case, you'd have the pastor coming to, to do this. Of course, there's nothing to say that a family couldn't do this entirely on their own if they wanted to. Um, Here's some pictures of, I was trying to find like what, what this looks like so that you can kind of see. I have, this is like from the Philippines, I think. Um, and sometimes you have the pastor coming in and actually vesting, that can, that can happen or it doesn't have to. Um, you see they have candles, I don't know if that's a, candles have a symbolism in church and that it might be a useful thing. Um, on the door then, there's this thing. Uh, this is part of part of the tradition is that when a house had been blessed for the year, they take chalk and over the door frame mark mark it with this marking with the year. This is what it would look like for this year. With and with the cross in between the letters C M B and the C M B. Um, there's two different things that it possibly could stand for. I think this is the this is the better one. This Christus Mansionem Benedicat, um, which is May Christ bless the house. Um, but and I don't know how this got connected. But there's also the um, the names that are given to the three wise men: Cast, like Caspier, Melchior, and 
Belshazzar or something like that. Um, and those aren't from the Bible either, so I don't know like, like if that has a, connect, a real connection or just people made that up, I don't know. Um, and obviously that's not, none of this is anything that's necessary or like some, but if someone wished to do something like that, um, you're open to invite the pastor for to, to do something like that. Uh, if you wanted to, then you, if you, this would be the kind of steps to prepare for something like that. First, you'd schedule it. You'd have ask, ask the pastor to come at a time that it that it works out. You might see if you wanted to invite other people or make sure you have people that you want there. Um, you'd prepare your home like you would for guests. Um, that's not to say that a house needs to be like sparkling in order to see, receive the word of God in prayer. Don't don't think that. Like, well, my house isn't a showpiece. I could never. I can't. Um, and I would say that in general too. I, yes, right, it's common courtesy when you invite guests into your home that you'd, let me say this though, um, and occasionally if you invite to have the pastor over for a visit, like that, that it's a, that's a courtesy I suppose, just like with any guest, but when it's need, in your need of pastoral care, that doesn't matter, <laughs> you know, you, if you say for, compare that to like when you're in the hospital, you are not going to be at your finest. Um, but when, when you need pastoral care, then it doesn't matter what the, what the, you know, the hospital room, doesn't matter what tubes are sticking out of you in, you know, like, then it, sometimes it doesn't matter. Um, and like, if you, don't let that stop you from receiving care that you need because, you know, you or your house isn't, you know, Visitor friendly, or something like that. I've never gone like gone into a place and like, oh, I wish I had, you know, I wish they had really cleaned up before I could come and pray with them. <laughs> um, then you'd want to think through what, how you want to do this. That'd be entirely up to the people inviting. Do you want to do different rooms? Do you want to stay in one place? Um, there's a, a spot in in the right. It, it lists like the, reading the Bible verse for each room could be done by an assistant. So you could have someone from the home. Um, read the verse and then the pastor say the prayer so there's a spot if you wanted to do that otherwise the pastor can uh, do it all. Also that in the instructions it says when you read the, the, the scripture reading which during Epiphany would be the gospel reading for today the account of the three wise men um, coming um, it says ideally out of the family Bible again there's the idea of to, to, to bless the, the continued reading of the word of God in the home maybe you don't have a family Bible but you wanted to do that from, you know, a Bible that you read out of your home, fine. Otherwise, I've got a Bible, I can bring one. Um, but, you know, if you wanted that marked on your, if you thought that that was a, um, a useful thing to mark somewhere in the house, that uh, 2024 CMB, those are, those are up to you. And also, like, candles, if you wanted to do something like that, you can do that. That's entirely up to you. So. Just putting it out there. Um, also, so you've heard of heard of the, the story. Then also, just a word about the hymn of the day today. This is one of the hymns that we studied this summer uh, during our, our hymn studies. So we went into a great deal. Into, I wanted to point out two things with regard to this hymn. One we talked about this summer. One we didn't. Um, the first. So the the text of the hymn, and you would never see this in English, but the the it's an acrostic. This hymn, oh, how lovely shines the morning star. And we only have five stanzas in our hymnal. There are originally seven, and this is the way they start. 
in, in German, and so you can see the first letter of each of those stanzas. And Philip Nikolai, when he wrote the hymn while he was thinking he's going to die of the plague, um, and he's going to leave behind this, this um, comfort on eternal life, there's this, this guy, Wilhelm Ernst, was, was this young, young man that he used to tutor before he had the past, post of pastor. He, and this young man died in that plague, 1598. Um, he died in, in that plague, and so <coughs> kind of recently. And so both Wake Awake, that has three verses, and there it's just three of these letters. Um, he spells out his name in the hymn. Or he spells out the his initials, including his like title, um, in the hymn while he's doing that. So this this crafting of the hymn, the hymn was not just slopped down on a page. It wasn't mass produced. It was like that's kind of the idea. There's so much care behind the text. We get it in translation, so we don't even we don't get the whole kind of the whole thing. But um, here's another thing that you can see in English. I I took now the the text of the hymns, these the stanzas that are in our hymnal, but I printed them out. Uh, I copied them in here. Do you notice anything? When you look at each of the stanzas. If you're looking at the words, you're looking too close. Back up, look at the shape. Yeah. Yeah. I have no way of knowing whether that was intentional. But you know, it's got those short phrases. Sing out, ring out, and how about that, huh? Um, and uh, and it is, you know, it's it's not a communion hymn per se. He does mention it, not in the stance that we have, unfortunately. Um, uh, we have, but in German, he's got a, a, a phrase, a line where it talks about his, your body and your blood, which we eat. The whole thing is talking about the marriage feast between Christ and His bride. Um, and so it's kind of in the context of the hymn. But you see, I, I, again, I don't know if... I, I would guess that this is pretty intense. I, I would think so, but I, I couldn't tell you for sure. Huh? Especially because in, when, when in the books of this, these hymns were published, they didn't waste space like this. You know, you'd go, you'd go in bed. Um, you, you, don't even, you don't even break for lines. You just keep on going, and you just put a dash when you get to the next <laughs> phrase. Um, but that's pretty easy. All right. Pastor, can I yes. go back to the Norfolk? Yes. Back, but do you think that is in reference to the blood of the lamb and the doorpost, like this house is protected? Is there any correlation with that? Um, there could be. Yeah. I, or, or like in uh, Deuteronomy, where he talks about uh, marking, uh, fix these words upon the, your door frames of your homes. Um, and upon your you know, foreheads and like you mark it where you go past. So I think, yeah, I mean, just in the sense that this is, you know, what's, what's over the doors, like this is, this is what happens, you know, this is something about this place that we're about to enter. Yeah. Sorry. And like to say this, this is, and I, I, I think we could do well our homes to, <laughs> But we would always benefit from more of the word of God in prayer and to say we wish, um, you know, the kind of things that could go on in a home that could harm us and to pray that, that we may be protected from, from, from danger and all that. So then let's...
jump back into First Peter. We are looking at chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. A lot of stuff in, this, in these verses. So I'm glad I got a couple of extra weeks to, to go through this. Let's, we haven't touched any of this yet, so let's read these verses together. Again, so we've, by the end of this time, we would have put onto our lips the whole of, of Peter's letter. So let's start at verse 4. Oh, I don't know if I can put this up so that we can see the whole thing at once, but yeah, I'll just read off of here so that I can move it. Ready? As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen peace, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I'm going to guess that verse, verse 9, is hopefully familiar as some other parts. The first place we want to start at the beginning, I'm just, so you see these, these quotations. These are going to be Old Testament quotations. But he's going to front load and he's going to give kind of the conclusion first. And then he's going to say, well, this is where I got this this idea that's in this section, okay? So first when he says, as, as you come to him, a living stone, first question, what does it mean to come to him? Maybe first we need to ask, we always have to do this with pronouns. Who's the him? Yeah, how do we know that? So we, we know, usually, a lot of times go behind to see where it is, but I think in this case, this is, a, this is going to explain who the hymn is. Um, you could say that it's to the Lord, because we had talked about that in the, in the previous verse here. But if you come to him, that's Jesus. And how do we know that's Jesus? A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. And then we go down to the scripture verse that he's going to quote later, and that's going to make that clear, that these, a living a stone... Um, well, there's, there's a little bit more context because Peter preaches uh, in Acts 4, and he quotes this, I think it's this verse from Psalm 118. He says, this is Jesus. <laughs> but he had already preached that uh, on earlier. Uh, but that's who this is. Rejected by men, chosen in the sight of God. That's Jesus. So what does it mean to come? We sometimes use that phrase. 
You know, we've talked about like a come to Jesus meeting, which I'm not exactly sure what that means, but um, what does it mean when we say we will come to Jesus? Through prayer? Or, or simply like when someone comes to Jesus, we, we kind of think of them coming to faith in him. That, uh, um, that, that the, the, the word uh, from its original is, is kind of a more uh, detailed. Yeah, well, so the question would be, is that you know, we don't normally talk about us coming to Jesus. You know, we just had Advent, right? Advent means coming. Jesus comes to us. So we kind of, we're maybe hesitant to talk too much about coming to Jesus, at least on our own power. Because if we're by nature dead in sin, we're not in a position to do that unless he comes first to us. But what if, um, the context is going to help us, we hear. Um, and, and I looked up the, the word behind this, the, the, the Greek word. Uh, the, the context uh, it's it's coming it's coming to God um, coming into the, the what was the definition I, I wrote it down to approach or enter into a deity's presence like a priest. It would almost seem like a missionary <laughs> talking to somebody that doesn't believe. Inviting them to come to Jesus, yeah, which which would be you know. Uh, if they try to do that with, again, trying to get them to come on their own, that's not something that we have by our physical powers. But here, as you come to him, to, to Jesus, um, what does that mean? Uh, when, he, when he ends up talking about a royal priesthood, I think that helps in the context. The idea is coming into God's presence. As you enter, as you approach the Lord, uh, as you come in, as, as, as approaching uh, the divine, that, and that's what the priests were for, for entering in. Well, we'll talk. We'll see, you'll see that in a little bit. You'll see those passages. You don't go waltzing into the presence of God, right? Think of the Old Testament, the, the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. Who goes in there? Almost no one. Uh, only the priest, only after <laughs> sacrifice, enters into God's presence. And, you know, so Peter's saying, you get to do that. You do get to do this, to come into God's presence. You come to him. How do you do that? Well, you're gonna, we're going to see. Um, and who are you coming into? Um, a living stone. I put brackets around this. I think it, uh, other translation, NIV, if you have that, you can see that, has the living stone. I think that might be better. The Greek doesn't have use articles in the same way that we do. Um, that he's not just talking about any living stone. He's talking about a particular one, the living stone, um, because you're going to be living stones, and those are connected, right? They're not just, this isn't just one of, the, of these. This is the, like the pattern. This is the living stone, and then these are going to be patterned after this one, who is rejected, all right? Uh, so to come to Jesus means to come into God's presence, to approach uh, God, and then what is a living stone? Uh, stones aren't a living. So what, what's the point of him calling uh, first Jesus is a living stone? 
you could say, well, he's prophesied that he is like a stone here, but he is. I, I think it's more than just saying he's alive because he's the person. Um, just because stone, I mean, it's like the opposite of what stones are. Stones are not living. Um, but they're solid and they're always there. They are. They're just they're kind of inert and just staying put. And they can be built into things. You can build things with stones. Um, but this is a living stone. And, you know, so what would it take for a stone to become alive? Is that possible for stones to be living? Was it? Yeah, I thought about that one too, that passage, and there's others too. Um, I, well, I looked up to see if um, uh, I looked up to see if Psalm 98. We sing it, the joy to the world is based on Psalm 98. I looked up to see if where we sing we sing about rocks in that, right? Rocks, hills, and plains, like the the, the whole creation crying out. And, but that's kind of what Jesus is getting at when he. You know, they try on Palm Sunday, trying to get them to be quiet, and Jesus says, if they if they don't, the stones will cry out. Um, what would it take for the stones to come to life? Or, I mean, is that possible? Like, not normally, right? Yeah. So if you have a living stone, that requires a life force that enters into it. Um, it could be possible by the word of God. Right. Um, <laughs> they can move and make noise and don't just say. Um, and certainly that. But that don't happen without God letting it Right. So the, so it would have to be the, the, the idea here, when you have a living stone, that means you have to have the word of God acting upon what is otherwise dead. Um, and uh, so you have first Jesus is described as a living stone, and then then the, the living stones are being built up. So we should probably just re reference this. Jesus is a living stone rejected by men, and in, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And we see that in Jesus' life, right? Um, you've got the, the citations down here. Um, Jesus talking about him being a stone who's rejected, right? But becomes the cornerstone, becomes the most important one. So you have two kind of judgments. You've got the judgment of man, and the judgment of God, the judgment of man, say this is not worth anything, this is just a rock. And the judgment of God saying this is the most important one. Yeah. It seems like today's world we got more people rejecting. It does seem like that. And I don't know if that's you know, numbers wise, is it? Or it seems like that. could also be, you know, there are plenty of people who pretend over the over the years to to not reject. They hide it more, potentially. It, it, I, I don't, I can't see that particularly. So, um, so, they, so they reject him. Um, then you yourselves, like, so you are like this living stone, in what way? Well, first, it says you let yourselves are being built up into a spiritual house. What, what would that be? Um, what are stones by themselves? Just rocks, right? But they can be built into something. Only when they're together. 
So you, you do have some sense that, that you are to be joined up with others in order to be built up. So there's no building up, it's not, be, not getting big to be bigger rocks, right? But that they're built into a house so that one rock doesn't become one house. Um, that the stones are put together so they have some connection to each other, um, being built up as a spiritual house. Is that referred to a congregation? I, yeah, the, the church in general, perhaps. Um, so the, the, they come together, but then to be a priesthood, not just to be priests, but a priesthood. Now, together, they now do something, and what do they do? Uh, so we'll come up to the next question. So, But first, what the spiritual house that they're built into? I mean, I guess the church... Right? The, the Christian church, the gathering of these. Not so much thinking of, he doesn't seem to have in mind like you, and, and there is a sort of an addition to this, the more stones are put on top, the bigger the thing is, that the building up um, seems to be more driven to the connection between them, rather than just the, the sheer, because you can, you can um, build a strong building by I guess you know this. More bricks doesn't necessarily make a bigger, a stronger building. Tighter construction does. And this being built up um, has the idea of strengthening. And it's going to need a cornerstone, right? It's kind of foundational. <laughs> Fundamental to the building is what is built upon, right? So they're being built up as a spiritual house in contrast to uh, some kind of physics we're not talking about. So in, this also, too, as a spiritual house. So we're not necessarily talking about merely a external collaboration or, or joining up of Christians. So not merely a physical external church body or congregation, but that there's a union of building up that is a spiritual house. You know this. People can be part of a congregation, or uh, you know, visibly, externally linked, but they are not built up as a spiritual house. You know, and how do you do that? I, I think the, the the way it's going to show is that is to be continually to be built up. It's as you come to Him. How do they get built up? How, do you, how does the Christian church get built up? It's not by people coming to each other. It's by them coming to Jesus. And in Jesus, they are together. Yeah. The, the, you know, if you wanted to extend the, you know, would you say Jesus is the mortar that holds them together? It's like it's not their own bond that holds them together, but, but Christ is kind of like a, when we were talking on Thursday night, the, the book club that we were meeting, we were talking, there was a line that uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes that says that Christians are closer to each other. They're closer to each other through their prayer to Christ than they are directly to one another. It's, it's our connection to Christ that binds us to each other. More than our just our mere connection to each other. Those bonds can break, but see the one with Christ, that's that's solid and that's reflected here. Uh, to be built up. How are they built, built up again? They're built up by coming to him. As you come to him, you are being built up. See that? As you 
Come to him, you are building on. It's not just being attached to each other. Uh, and then how are they rejected, though chosen and precious? So he doesn't draw this connection exactly, because um, he says the, the living stone is rejected by men and chosen. You are like living stones, and he doesn't go that through that here, but I think that's in the context. Remember the letter? These are written to Christians who are spread out, and they're starting to face this persecution that's coming. They're, they're feeling the rejection of the world. They're, they're beginning to realize that the world is no friendly place to Christians. That's not, it, it's not that everyone's going to love Jesus. You're going to have that, you know, the wise men are going to find that out when they go to Herod. You know, they're expecting Herod to love them, and he doesn't, right? Um, and, they're, and they're realizing that this is, this is so they're, they, to be associated then with Jesus, who was rejected, but he's chosen, Right? He's the most important. He's, and that's going to come up here too. Um, chosen and precious. So there's a there's a parallel to the Christians, and I think that's what he's trying. That's why he's telling them this, right? That they too, even though they may be feeling rejected by men, what are you in the sight of God? Well, you're a holy priesthood. <laughs> that's something special. So not everyone can just waltz into God's presence. But you get to come to him, and as you come to him, you're being built up as the spiritual house of this temple of the living God. The place where God dwells, he dwells within you and with you. Um, you get that opportunity to come into presence. So that's what, what, is, what does it mean to be a priest? Number three, what is the essence of the holy priesthood? I've got some verses there. Oh, they disappeared on me. Oh, shucks. Ah, let's look them up quick. Because you'll want to see these. When I, I had to restart my computer this morning and they went. That's unfortunate. You want to see Exodus 19.22. You want to see Leviticus 10 verse 3. You want to see Second Chronicles 29.11. And Hebrews 5.1. And this should bring them to us. Okay? Let's make that bigger. So what does it mean? How are the priests described? So this is Old Testament. How are the priests described? What's kind of the essence of what they do? Um, the priests, they're described as those who come near to the Lord. They've got to consecrate themselves so that they don't get in trouble. Um, in Leviticus, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified before all the people I have glorified. And, and Aaron, so he said to Aaron, he's the, the head of the priests, right? They're, they're those who come near to the Lord, those who are near to him. Second Chronicles, um, my sons, do not be negligent for the Lord has chosen you. And you see there's the, the chosen bit too. They're selected. They get that privilege um, to stand in his presence minister to him and to be ministers and make offerings to him. Then what do they do? That's what I have highlighted. So what they are are those who come near. And in order to come near, what do they do? They make offerings. Also here in Hebrews, and Hebrews is going to uh, illustrate this from the New Testament perspective, all the stuff that's going on in the Old Testament priesthood. Um, the high priest acts on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So they're offering these sacrifices 
but they get this, this privilege this, to be chosen to come before God. And so when Peter writes that you are being built up as a spiritual house, you are um, to be a holy priesthood. What is this that they are given the opportunity to do? To, to be chosen to come into God's presence, to be near him. Um, and then you're going to have sacrifices. What kind of sacrifices? I must be on our sheet. To offer sacrifices, but what kind of spirit, what kind of sacrifices? We're not talking about blood, bulls and goats, right? But these spiritual sacrifices that they offer as like being acceptable to through Jesus Christ. Are able to get come to to Jesus, be in his presence. Um, and this is this is all Christians. Okay? To, to, to be with the Almighty. Not everyone gets to do that. That's a precious privilege that is given to you. You are like living stones being built up. And you want to, so you are, this is something that's happening. He says, as you come to him, this is happening. This is happening for you Christians. Um, in your connection as, to the degree that you come to Jesus, that you come into his presence, um, that, that you are with him, you are being built up, and you are this priesthood. This is your um, your role, your, your right, your privilege. Um, and in honor, he's going to use this word honor. Now he's going to go into these passages. So the first one is from Isaiah, I think, 28. Uh, Isaiah 28, and then we have this verse from Psalm 118. You know lots of from Psalm 118. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Um, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's in Psalm 118. Um, also the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Some of the sacrifice might be just getting there in the old days. Well, there, there was certainly a traveling was not a Yeah, and he's going to explain more about what the sacrifices are in this last verse, um, too. He's going to talk about the sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of thanksgiving and a sacrifice of praise. Um, what is being offered up? Prayers would be part of that, right? Um, so he, yeah, he quotes now these. So what he had said here about your status as uh, living stones being built up, <clears throat> how, you know, where does that come from? Well, it stands in Scripture. I'm laying a stone in Zion, again, Isaiah 26. Uh, then, then, then he says, before he, before he gets to Psalm 118, so the honor is for you who believe. So it's just picking this great honor that you as a Christian have to be this, this living stone, to be built up, to be joined together up into this, this spiritual house. You get this honor. And which would be the opposite of if you had been put to shame, like the Isaiah talks about. That whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This, this concept, this shows up all the time in the Psalms and in the prophets. This idea of being put to shame and generally has the idea that if, if God doesn't come through in what I believe, I believe in him, and if, he, if I, you know, 
I, I get to the day and he can't be trustworthy and, and it falls through and it turns out that God's nothing to be trusted, that would be shameful. We would have egg all over our face if God does not trustworthy. But we live in life, we're living by faith, not by sight, right? And so we're living life, not, you know, others, mockers, unbelievers can say, what are you believing in? I don't see it. I don't know, I think that's, that's foolishness, and you're all a bunch of fools for believing this stuff. And if that was true, if they're right, then you'd be put to shame, right? That would be, that would be horrifying. But I will not be put to shame. <laughs> um, and over and over again, the psalmist says that yeah, I, I trusted in him, and we will not be put to shame. That is, he will, he is trustworthy, and who I said, <clears throat> Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so for you, you who believe, it's actually an honor. It's not a visible honor. On earth we look rejected and dejected and um, like refuse, much like Jesus, right? Who was rejected by men. So if we look like that too, that that's okay, right? Um, he was rejected, but he was chosen and precious. And so too we. So we have this honor. This delightful honor to us who believe. He never really finishes this thought, it seems. So you've got this, but for those who do not believe, what? For you honor, what he kind of doesn't, I think he doesn't say it. He talks, he quotes them in these other verses. The stone the builders rejected that become the capstone. So they reject him and he is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They take offense at him. They stumble over him. Um, they fall away. But it doesn't really, it doesn't spell out their, their end, I guess, because he's maybe not talking about them. So let them go their way. Um, for those who do not believe, yeah, yeah, they do that. But he doesn't, he doesn't spend much time dwelling on what, what's in it for what's, what's, what's to come for them. Um, a couple of um, offense, um, that's a word that you'll see in the New Testament. Um, talk about people being offended. Jesus will say that, to, uh, that no one would be offended by me. And we, we hear that word in our modern usage. Talk about people getting offended, right? Those don't mean the same thing exactly. Uh, people talk about, I mean, people will get offended about just about anything. Um, they'll take offense, right? That's something that I said. That's not the... Um, the word that the Bible uses when it talks about offense is, um, is much stronger. It's someone falling. That's why it's used here with stumbling. Um, uh, the, the actual the Greek word, you'll recognize it. Um, scandal. Um, do you hear what it sounds like? Scandal? That's where the word scandal comes from. That it's, they're scandalized. Meaning that it causes them to fall. They, they, it causes them to trip up and fall. It's not just that they had their feelings hurt. <laughs> that's, usually, that's the way it's used in kind of modern usage. Someone's offended. Like, um, they kind of got their feelings pinched. Um, it, when it talks about a rock of offense, it's a rock. Not, it doesn't just make them feel bad. <laughs> um, this, this rock is a, is a deadly fall. And that's, that is what, what happens to them. But again, but for you to believe. And then he goes on. Um, he says they, so they stumble. And maybe that's, you know, what happens to them. You get the honor, they get the stumbling. But and that's, that's enough of a curse, I guess. He's preaching to a congregation or a bunch of people. So by reason that, so 
they have they have heard it and they rejected it. And, and um, but it's still in their mind. Did I do the right thing? Your conscience. Sure. It could. It would still be a for someone who, if someone read this, who was, um, who was on that other side, who had rejected, but it would be a rebuke. I think he's more. He's addressing the suffering Christians mainly. That's who he's mainly talking to. Um, that they and they. Um, this is so. This is interesting. They stumble because they disobey the word, and that goes. So, what is the essence of them falling away? Um, and remember when we see disobey, always think the, the word here is always kind of tucked in there. Uh, to disobey the word is to refuse to hear it. To hearing and, believe, and, and obeying go together. Um, they disobey the word. It's not just that they, they broke commandments. Everyone breaks commandments. But they refuse to listen to, to the word of God. Um, and that led them to stumble. And then it says, as they were destined to do and this might sound like, wow, see, they, maybe they were, they didn't have any option. They didn't have any choice in the matter. They were destined to, to fall. I think what, what it's getting at is that that's the, the natural conclusion of disobedience to the word is stumbling. If you disobey the word, if you cut off from the word of God, you will fall. That is the destiny of those who, who disobey the word is to stumble. Because they disobey, because they refuse to listen, they stumble. That's what happens. Yeah? So I guess that's, that's kind of judgment enough, I guess. The honor is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, they stumble. They fall. All right. Uh, consider the prophecies about Christ as a stumbling stone in light of Simeon's prophecy. So... This, I just thought from last Sunday, our, the gospel was Simeon's words about this child will be, is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. From, from the start, Simeon says, this boy is going to cause some, some are going to fall. And just to see, it, it's kind of harsh, but as, as Luther, we talked last week, um, or the, the sermon last week, the, it's kind of a comfort to us. To know that this is what happens. Um, so that we don't, I don't know, like just destroy ourselves or fall into despair or something like that. Because not everyone believes. Jesus is going to determine. Jesus is going to be the kind of the, the, the tipping point. Whether they fall or, or are built up, it, it hinges on, on how they deal with Jesus. And if they reject Jesus and his word, they go... Um, and uh, and this is it's it's not as if we just simply say Jesus. I mean, Jesus is he's sent to be the savior of the world, right? Comes to redeem the world, comes to shed his blood for all mankind. But from the start, it's clearly prophesied. You know, we heard that on Christmas morning too, right? Um, he was sent to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. From the start, this is like this is this is part of his position. It is is that in from it's not like this. Well, you know, God's like wringing his hands, like well, I tried, you know, and I just couldn't like. And it's at the same time, it's not that God is up there like, oh, I picked him, I picked these people, my people, and I picked these people, not my people. He did send his son for the for all, 
but it's not a surprise to him. It's not like a lack of God just couldn't do it. You know, like God failed. Like he just didn't, you know, wasn't wasn't convincing enough and they and they they wouldn't give in. So I think what he's talking, you know, what this particular thing is talking about are, you know, are those who reject him, right? Okay. So we'd be talking about others. But yes, um, and, and, and to a certain degree, we'd want to hear this with a warning, right? That we wouldn't fall down on this, this path, right? So certainly, our sins, our falling into temptation, our day-to-day um, sins, and, and we could also fall away, too. Christians, like it, that's always a danger, and and, and there should be a warning for us. Right? Um, so, but falling into sin doesn't necessarily lead us uh, lead us to fall away from faith. Uh, if if that were the case, we'd all be lost, right? Which is again why what what do Christians do? What do sinners do? Who do fall? They repeatedly going back come to Christ. <laughs> Continually living in him, finding our life. We're living stones. Where does our life come from? From the living one. Right? So we're, we're continually joining ourselves to him so that though we will, we will fall and stumble many times. This particular stumbling, this is, this is the, they're, they've fallen. And they do not, they, they don't listen. They, they've rejected him. There's plenty of times when I can even reject Jesus in my, just my day-to-day decisions. You know, I reject, I, I, I choose to, to, you know, scroll on my phone instead of hearing the word of God. Just on a day, you know, minute to minute. That doesn't mean that every single minute of the day I need to be reading my Bible. But there are times when I choose that over what I should do. Or some other thing that I should do, right? Um, uh, but that doesn't mean I've rejected him. Be a warning that I, that it wouldn't let it lead to that. That I'll eventually disobey the word of God. What is the destiny of those who disobey the word? He talks about as they were destined to do. I guess we already talked about this. Their destiny is to fall. That's what's destined to happen. Someone disregards the word, they will fall. What honors does he are bestowed upon the chosen people of God? What is the result and the purpose and the result of that honor? And that comes in this verse 9 and 10. So it's like in contrast to they who reject, they who disbelieve, you, on the other hand, which is kind of what he had said earlier, because he's repeating it, um, but expanding, a chosen race, a chosen generation, um, your your new life is, is by his choice. Um, that, that picks up on that. Just as Christ was the chosen one, you are chosen by him. Jesus said that to his disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Okay? I mean, what, a, what an honor to get chosen. Right? To get picked. Out of all the people, they ask you. You know, it gets that honor like, 
I just, again, uh, invitation to, to present at our the, the National Worship Conference this summer, you know, like, that's an honor, like, to get to, 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 to be asked to do something, to, to speak, or something like that. And here, you, um, you chosen a royal priesthood, and also we already talked about the priesthood, but now he adds royal. Um, I had another lineup of passages looked up this, because you have this um, in Exodus, um, God talks about the children of Israel, says you are, you are a chosen people, uh, a kingdom of priests. Out of all the nations on earth, I chose you, he says. He says that of Israel. And now he says to those who are in Christ, he says that of, of you, children of God. You're a chosen race, a royal priest. And priest, royal, the priests were not kings, right? Kings were in a different line. The priests were the line, the Levites, right? The, the line of Aaron. And, and you, you, you didn't have both. If they had occasions where kings tried to play priest, and that didn't go well. Um, where they tried to offer salad, tried to do that, offer sacrifices. Um, Uzziah did. Um, and they get re that's 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 a no no to step outside your station. But this one, you are a royal priesthood. What and the the royalty comes with this honor, this dignity, right? That is given, that is bestowed. This priesthood, and that again is going to come with all of the all of the rights of, of of those who can enter into the into the presence of God. A holy nation, a holy nation. That's another thing that God had said of Israel. Uh, holy, God said, be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Are, are they holy? Not at all, but they were holy in the sense that God had set them apart. God had pulled them out of Egypt, and he keeps them separate. And because he says, you are a holy nation. You're something, you're something different. You're, you're distinct. That's an honor that he gives to them. That of all the nations of the earth, you set apart. I'm, I set you apart. The holiness doesn't come by them becoming nicer or better, or cleaner. Their holiness comes because God yanked them out of Egypt and set them apart. He's the one who sets us apart. Um, a people for his own possession. This is a, a people, I think NIV has a people belonging to God, which is how it has that same idea of his possession. You're his. How do you know he, 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 you're his? He put his name on you. Right? He possesses you. He's, he's made you his. He's like um, Andy writing his name on the bottom of the toys in Toy Story. He's made you his own. And they have, they have this dignity because I've got, I've got my own name written on, on my foot. I have this, this, this place right? because of this. And we have this. Uh, a people for his own possession. Uh, that's going to come down here too. That so what's the purpose of this? What's the, the, the result? He's done this. This is the honor that he's given you. You children of God, you are this, this dignified people that have this, this, this right and this. So what? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That, that what he has done and what he has given to you will just exude out of us. Um, This is not something that we just, you know, just keep on to ourselves, or certainly not something that we would use. The purpose of this is so that we we think ourselves better than everyone else. That's not the purpose, <laughs> you know. The, not the purpose, like, oh, I'm a Christian. 
I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm something special, that it's not to build us up, but so that it would be all about him. Um, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. That comes from Hosea. And again, that's one of those verses that I had. Cue it up to, to read Hosea, but he says, you are not my people, but I, I will make you, I will have mercy where I did not have mercy. I'm not going to be able to find it now. Did I write it in here? I didn't. Um, here. See Hosea 1.6 right there? The, this is Hosea. The pro, God has the prophet um, go in and uh, conceive a child with a woman, and uh, she conceived, bore a son, and, and he gives the, the God tells him what names to ch- call the child, and he uses that to prophesy. He says, call her, call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. Here, let me bring this up. Um, to forgive them at all, but I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will save them not by bow or by sword or by war or horses or horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. How horrifying. Yet the children, number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And they are children of Judah. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head and they shall go up from the land. For great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, you are my people. And to your sisters, you have received mercy. Yeah? So, the... Go back here. Uh, that you may proclaim the excellencies. Why? Because once you were not a people... Now you are God's people. You had not received mercy. So he had prophesied and saying, okay, about Judah and Israel, my people. I'm going to say, my judgment is you're not my people. But the message of the gospel is that you are. Through Christ, through the one who is to come, you are my people. And you are, um, you are ones with having had mercy. Yeah. It would seem, seem like the people would be more. It does. That is intended to bring, to bring comfort to the Christians, living in a world where they're realizing that they are foreigners, exiles in a foreign land, uh, just as we are. Um, and he brings this comfort to you and says, "No, do you, do you know who you are, children of the living God." Yeah. Uh, Shall we close with the doxology? That is what I put up.